Welcome to this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. This is the 11th episode for this podcast, and today we're going to talk about the place of discernment and sound doctrine in the Christian life. Joey asked us today, what is the place of discernment and sound doctrine in the Christian life? Well, Joey, you have asked a wonderful question. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21-22, it says, Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Testing everything here is a call to discernment. In the context of very basic Christian commands, Paul is saying that effective Christianity is a discerning Christianity. And the discernment that he's calling for in this passage is doctrinal discernment. Doctrinal discernment. And now it's important to note that some people say today we should not judge at all. We shouldn't care. After all, it's, it's my faith. It's my truth. And yet the Bible clearly calls us, Jesus says, that he is the way and the truth and the life. And so Jesus makes an exclusive claim to truth. It's truth matters. And as Christians, we are to love the truth found in the person and the glory of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You see, the discernment that Paul calls for here, it's not an academic exercise. It demands a twofold response. First, there's the positive response to whatever is biblical. He says, hold fast to what is good. We're charged with guarding the good deposit of truth found in the Word of God. The, the approach that Paul is talking about here is a militant. It's a protective stance against anything that undermines the truth of God's Word. We must hold the truth securely. We must defend it zealously. We must preserve it against all threats. To placate the enemies of truth or to lower our guard is to violate this command. You see, every Christian should have an attitude of discernment, an attitude of discernment. And there are three basic doctrines that we need to understand in order to be a people of discernment. A people of discernment. And that is the first is a high view of God's Word. You see, the, the 66 books that are in the Word of God in the Old and the New Testament, they are the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and clear Word of God. And not only that, but they have one central message. Luke 24 tells us that that message centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. And J in fact, J.C. Ryle once said that the key to understanding the scripture, to interpret it correctly, is Jesus Christ. That gets to the heartbeat of the Bible's message. That it revolves around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God's word to the Christian 
should be like bread to a hungry man. When we don't feed daily at the word of God, we grow hungry. We are to be a people of the truth. After all, this is why the Holy Spirit indwells us. To convict us of sin and point us to the finished work of Jesus Christ. A high view of Scripture is one that every Christian should die on. And we are living in a day, now make no mistake about it, where the authority of God's Word is under attack. And it's absolutely indispensable for every true Christian, for the discerning Christian in particular, to uphold a right view of God's Word. And that is basically what I mean by that is what the church has taught and what the Bible itself teaches about the Bible is that it is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and clear Word of God. You see, the Scriptures can be wholly trusted because they come from a God who can be wholly trusted. And furthermore, when we understand that, that the, the Bible is, can be wholly trusted because it's given to us by a God who can be wholly trusted, we will then desire to rightly handle the word of truth, as Paul told Timothy. In other words, our view of Scripture affects how we interpret Scripture. It's not just enough to say, well, I'm interpreting the passage. I'm understanding what it means. Why are you doing that? And if you would do it, people do this wrongly because they have wrong views of the Bible. Or they don't even believe the Bible. We don't have enough time in this podcast to unpack though that idea. But the second, the second critical aspect to being a discerning Christian is developing a framework for biblical discernment is a high view of God. We need to understand the Bible clearly teaches who God is. He is the Lord overall. He is the Creator. He is the Alpha and Omega and the Prince of Peace. In Psalm 115.3, we're told that our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. In Isaiah 40.18, the Lord asks rhetorically, To whom will you liken God? But the answer to this question leaves Job dumbfounded in Job 44-5. And hear what Daniel 3.28 says. Nebuchadnezzar answered, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yield up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. You see, God's greatness and His majesty is not only seen in His sovereign power, it's also seen in His grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. As God in human flesh, Jesus Christ led the perfect life before sacrificing Himself on the cross. As a spotless Lamb of God in the once and for all and final sacrifice, He not only paid the price for our sins, but He now clothes us in His righteousness. As the risen Lord, He sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the day when He will return to earth to set up His kingdom. And in the meantime, all those who put their trust in Christ alone and follow Him as Lord, Romans 10, 9-10 says, They will be saved. 
you see that the discerning Christian is unaffected, unaffected by heretical trends. Instead, when he sees them, he speaks out against them in love. But and, and let's camp on this idea. The reason that we speak out against issues, such as those who say that Jesus' death in our place and for our sin is causing child abuse and more, is because we believe the truth about God's Word. The discerning Christian is, is like a tree firmly planted because our view of God is firmly planted in the truth of God's Word. We are being shaped and molded by the truth. And as we do that, we will be rightly shaped by a right view of God Himself. Next, a high view or right view of the gospel. And biblical discernment requires, I just kind of hinted at this, biblical discernment requires us to have a right understanding of the gospel. And many people today say, well, I'm just, I'm just a good person. I'm just making bad choices or bad decisions. But the Bible never speaks in this category or in this way. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is deserving of death and damnation and hell. And yet, that's where we would go without Christ. And this is why Christ has come. This is why Christ has died. This is why Christ has bled. This is why Christ was buried. This is why Christ rose again. This is why Christ ascended. This is why Christ is coming back. Because of the gospel. You see, if you have a biblical view of sin, you'll have a right view of yourself. Look at Isaiah. Woe is me in Isaiah 6.4 or Luke 18.13. God be merciful to me a sinner. Charles Spurgeon is right. Light thoughts of sin lead to wrong views of Jesus. We have to have a right view of sin. This is the argument in the first three chapters of Romans. We are not improving as a human race. And this is why we have to understand sin. Even as Christians, born again, John Owen is well known in, in writing on mortification. And one of the things that I love about John Owen is that he understands that even as a Christian, we have indwelling sin. And we need to feel some of the weightiness of our sin. He would instruct us, and he does in his books. So that we will have a right view of ourselves, so that we will be able to see reality for what it is. Not through sin-tainted glasses, but through Christ-centered glasses. You know, there are mountains... And there are moleholes all around us. Peter, in the first two verses of his second epistle, he refutes false teaching, but he begins with the right view of salvation. Faith by the righteousness of Christ, 
And he moves to a right view of Jesus Christ as our God and Savior and our Lord. He mentions the knowledge of God, a subject that he unpacks in the first chapter. You see, the apostles, they took a clear stand on these issues. They did not consider them to be secondary, and neither should we. And there's a lot that we can say about these things. A lot. I'm only introducing them to you to get you to think. You see, by looking to the scriptures and having a right view of them as your ultimate authority, for a right view of God and a right view of the gospel itself, you can safeguard your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, good theology, as I've been arguing, comes from the Word of God. And that allows us to be discerning. To discern what is right and what is wrong. So even here, we just actually said something that is consequential and countercultural. It is of consequence what we believe. It's not just what I think about this and it's my truth. It's what does God's word say? And behind even saying that is what we think about the Bible itself. And what the Bible says about God. And, and what He has come to do to Christ. So, some of you are wondering, well, now, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What does discernment look like for my daily life? Step one here is desire. Proverbs 2, 3 through 6 says, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You see, the desire for discernment is born out of a desire for humility. You see, if we have a right view of the scriptures, then we have a right view of God, and we have a right view of the gospel itself, we cannot help but continue to grow in humility. A right view of the scriptures will inform our heart and our mind. A right view of God in the scriptures will help us in experience to fight against pride. It will help us to see ourselves as we really are. And a heart for the gospel is one that loves Jesus and one that burns with a passion for discernment. Step two is prayer. Prayer follows desire. Prayer is the expression of a heart's desire for the Lord. You see, if we understand what the Bible is saying about God and the gospel, we will cry out in prayer to God. Not as a duty, but a delight. Because here we are. We are growing in the knowledge of God through His Word and of the grace of God through the, through the Spirit of God in the Scriptures. We cannot help then but to call out, to go before 
Our God, as Hebrews 4, 14-16, instructs us to go before the throne of grace. That is our summons. That is our call. Because of the grace that we receive, we will long, we will hunger, we will thirst to pray. But it also needs to be said that James 1.5 promises that God will grant the promise of discernment. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But discernment is not enough apart from obedience. What good is it to know the truth that we fail to act accordingly? We are not to be hearers only. That's what James 1 tells us. But doers of the word. James 1.22 See, if we fail to obey, we are self-deluded. We are not discerning. We can't just be about knowledge for knowledge's sake. You see, it's, that's not good. Disobedience inevitably undermines discernment. The only way to be discerning is to be a doer of the word, not only a hearer. And the third step is this, in biblical discernment. Emulate those who do this well. And there are so many who do this well. Again, we don't have enough time to unpack everything here. But two examples from church history, Martin Lloyd-Jones and Dre Grosser Matthew in the past century, distinguished themselves for the battle for truth. Charles Spurgeon and scores of other writers in the 19th century, they left a legacy of rich material to help us. And before that, Thomas Boston, a century before that. You know, another example is Thomas Boston, Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitfield. They batter, battled for the truth. The Puritans, they fought for the truth. Augustine, John Calvin, Athanasius. As important as these examples are, though, the Spirit of God is ultimately the true discerner. His role is to lead us into all truth. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 2, 12-15. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And so, what is the point? Discernment depends on the Holy Spirit. Discernment depends on the Holy Spirit. As we are filled with and controlled by the Spirit of God, we will increasingly be discerning. Period. You see... What we're getting at here is that to be truly discerning means that you need to open up your Bible. You need to be reading it. Because true discernment, it requires diligent study of the Word of God. The Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Do your best to present yourself 
to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know, at servantsofgrace.org, you can go to our website and you can find a resource on learning how to hand, rightly handle the word of God. If you go to servantsofgrace.org, you click on Theology for Life there on the menu, and you scroll down, you'll find an issue titled Hermeneutics. I highly recommend you go and read that issue. It's probably about 100 or so pages. It will help you learn how to engage in the art and science of biblical interpretation. You see, spiritual maturity is the process of learning to discernment. You see, the path to real discernment is a path of spiritual growth. You see, growth and grace, it's a continual work in this life. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we mature, our senses, Scripture says, are exercised to discern good and evil, Hebrews 5.14 says. And as we seek to be children, we gain stability in the faith. You see, mature Christians are discerning Christians. You see, the more we grow, the more we are exercising, the more we are beginning to see, excuse me, life through a biblical worldview. And we are, as Carl Henry said, being shaped by a biblical life view. So let me encourage you today, wherever you are today in this process of growth, keep going. In the midst of suffering and trials, keep going because of the persevering grace of God. God might be causing you to be convicted even today, even right now, about your lack of diligence in studying the Word of God. Open your Bible. Avail yourself of the Word of God. As I said, I had just provided one resource, but we have hundreds of resources on servantsofgrace.org, including Bible studies. We have one starting next week through First and Second Peter. We have weekly messages through books of the Bible aimed at helping you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Use those resources and others. You see... We need to grow. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there is a place for discernment in the Christian life. There is a place to not just be discerning for discerning's sake, but to be discerning out of a heart motivated by love for God and love for people. And make no mistake about it, there are those out there. You will read... They are motivated not by concern and love for other people. They are motivated to attack other people. And so you might be thinking, well, I don't know that I want to be discerning. But as we've seen here, biblical discernment is motivated out of a heart of love for God first. It is informed by Scripture which teaches us who God is and about the gospel. And not only that, but we are to test and to examine the scriptures. We are to, to use Paul's words. Paul commended the Bereans because they searched these 
Search the scriptures to see if these things were so. We are, Paul commands us, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22, to, to test everything, to hold fast to what is good, to abstain from every form of evil. And in the process, we will come headlong just by studying the scriptures, by getting into the thought thought and worldview of the Bible and the language of Scripture, we will confront every source of, of wrong teaching all around us. Because people can't help but come to the Bible. People can't help it. The atheist can't help but come to the Bible. The scientist, whether he's a Christian or not, can't help but come to the Bible. What do you do with creation? What well, goes back again, my friend, to what you think about Scripture itself? We cannot avoid this. So the question is today, not whether you will engage in discernment. The question is not whether you will engage in interpreting the world in a certain way. The question is, as a Christian, whether you will begin to do so through the Word of God and through the prism of, of God Himself in His Word as He's been revealed and through the Gospel or whether you will do it through some other means. And what I'm saying here today is there is no other means. There is no other way to be discerning. There is no other way to be loving there's no other way to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul than to do it motivated by a heart of love for God, for His glory, for the sake of the gospel, for the good of mankind. You and I need to exercise doctrinal discernments. We ourselves need to begin to dig into and study the scriptures and to learn to be motivated by love for God because of the gospel because God's spirit is a work in the world opening the eyes of unbelievers so that they might see and know the glory of Christ and Christ is still at work making disciples who make disciples through the local churches for the glory of God. In fact, that's one of the reasons why this podcast even exists. To be a resource to the local church. To say, hey, we're not replacing your local church. We're aiming to help you grow so that you can help others grow. And this topic, as I said, there is so much more that could be said. But I will end with just this. Joey, thank you for your great question. I pray today that you and many others who will watch or listen to this podcast will begin to dig in, to test everything by this grid through a right view of the scripture, through a right view of God in his word as he's revealed himself, and through a gospel grid. If you do that, you are well on your way to learning how to be discerning. And as a consequence of that, 
You are well on your way to learning how to be a loving, discerning Christian who speaks the truth in love, motivated not by malice, but by love. To confront truth, confront error with truth, but with the grace of God. And that's my prayer today for you. That you would be motivated by grace and love for the sake of the truth. And that you would contend, as Jude 3 says, for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. But as you do so, you would speak the truth in love and, and aim to help people grow in that grace. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. If you enjoy this episode, I encourage you to find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. And for more resources, check us out at serviceofgrace.org. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. My name is Dave Jenkins. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.